This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's wizarding world. Welcome to MuggleCast 370, another landmark episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. We've got a relaxed episode of the show this week. It's the Memorial Day weekend. We're going to have a mailbag. And we're gonna we're gonna open up the mailbag, and we're gonna have a. Dis- there is a mailbag. Let's be clear. <laughs> yes, and we're gonna have a discussion on origin stories because with the latest Star Wars movie, it's Han Solo origin movie. Um, we're gonna talk about what origin stories we might want to see out of the Wizarding World, since the Wizarding World seems to be expanding more and more these days. Uh, so we'll look at a few character options, but it is the unofficial start of summer. Uh, so many memories for Harry Potter fans, right? The the book releases, so many of them over the summer, a few movie releases. So funny because Harry uh, himself does not like summer, right? It's when he's got to go back <laughs> to the Dursleys yeah. and suffer. But all of us have gotten the latest detail, the latest um, experiences that he has all came out in the summer, you're right. Yeah. J.K. Rowling was like, I'm going to make you hate Summer Harry, but I'm going to make <laughs> all my fans love it. Yeah. And I've, I've been rereading Order of the Phoenix, and yesterday I was reading it on the beach. I was like, ah, this brings back memories of reading it for the first time in 2003. That was 15 years ago, almost I uh, know. to the month. Actually, yeah. since there is an anniversary coming up, we will have an announcement at the end of today's program. Yeah. For now, though. Little news item I just wanted to mention briefly, J.K. Rowling. She said something interesting on Twitter. She's not tweeting a ton of stuff about Harry Potter these days, unless there's a uh, Battle of Hogwarts anniversary that she needs to <laughs> apologize during. It comes but once a year. <laughs> she needs more anniversaries that she can make these big announcements on, by the I way. Agree. But she, I think she revealed the chapter she had the hardest time writing. Because uh, she was, she uh, uh, one thing she does on Twitter frequently is she likes to inspire and motivate budding writers. Like uh, some people will be like, "Oh, if J.K. Rowling can can push through it, I can do it too." And then J.K. Rowling's like, "You go, girl." Um, and then this week, somebody was like, "I have been writing a chapter for a week. I have rewritten a single chapter forty times because I can't get it right." And then she said, "How do you get past that?" And then J.K. Rowling said. Chapter 9 of Goblet of Fire nearly finished me. I rewrote it more times than I can now remember. You'll get there. Chapter 9 of Goblet of Fire is The Dark Mark. Huh. So they're at the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. Pretty pretty busy chapter. So I guess that's why it nearly finished her. If she, it, was she trying to also work in like the timing of crouch's whereabouts maybe like was that difficult as well yeah that's one of those chapters where there's more going on but we don't know about it at the time Mm -hmm. um because like winky and barty crouch are there under an invisibility cloak i think it's probably yeah like building the space out is probably what she had to do to like who's running through the forest at what point and kind of just like figuring out the overall chronology or maybe she just wrote it and was like the dialogue is weak or the dialogue is not, you know, enough. And Yeah. It, it, it's, it's sort of an interesting chapter to finish her, though, because there have certainly been longer chapters, even in that book, and, you know, that, that do more. But I, I understand her need for perfection, and I think there are a couple of things being balanced there. Probably depends to the, the order in which she wrote the chapters, because I'm sure she had the 
end of the book in mind before going back and, and writing the earlier chapters, but yeah, trying to weave those threads through uh, and make sure that everything connected. I can imagine it'd be interesting to ask her, was chapter nine the last chapter in Goblet of Fire that she wrote or, or mm, finished up? That's a good question. Because if that were the case, I think it would make a lot of sense. What cracks me up is that she, this book was published in 2000, so she was probably writing it in 99. She remembers specifically that chapter nine of <laughs> Goblet of Fire that she wrote 20 years ago was the one that was the hardest. <laughs> well, and she also, though, this was before she gave herself the time, right? Because the Goblet of Fire, she was rushed to write in the same amount of time that she had written the first three. Right. And I think that th- this, it, we might actually have this chapter to thank for the fact that she made us then wait three years for every book. Right. Two, two years after that, because she's like, I'm done. I'm tired of being rushed. I need the space. Yeah, yeah. Which makes perfect sense. If, and and mm. I, I hope, I hope the publishers weren't like, oh, okay, if you really say so. <laughs> There's the whole just a series big... could have been done by like 2003 if if she kept up with a well, one-a-year type of schedule. I can't imagine. There's just a big number nine up on her uh, bulletin board next to her, her desk. So that it's a constant <laughs> reminder. She throws darts at it. <laughs> Never forget chapter nine of Goblet of Fire. And yeah, I mean, if she was under pressure to finish writing by a certain time and she just couldn't get that chapter right, that would be enormously stressful, pulling all-nighters to get that right. Mm -hmm. All right, so there you go. I would love to hear more antidotes from, like, writing the Harry Potter series. We don't hear enough of them, I don't think. Yeah, I I agree. Because when Pottermore launched this book club on social media i was hoping that jk rowling would pop in from time to time and i think one of the things i suggested was jk rowling would could could be like oh yeah this chapter was really fun to write because or oh this chapter that was something else or oh this chapter i almost didn't include it in the final book because like just like fun stuff like that would be so cool to hear did they launch their book club (laughs) yeah it was they launched it like months ago so talk about a whimper i didn't hear anything about it they have a well so they probably retweet some stuff from the pottermore account but they also have a special twitter account called ww book club oh that's what i'm missing out on okay yeah so i was gonna say if the majority because i get pottermore tweets to my phone but i actually unfollowed their book club twitter account because i just i wasn't following along and it wasn't what i was hoping Mm. so i was like okay i'm out Sure. Oh, well. (laughs) So, um, like I said, our main discussion this week is going to be about origin stories. And later in the episode, we got a bunch of voicemails to get through um, and a couple of emails as well. Some fun theories, some some fun fandom questions, actually. So a lot to get to today. Eric, you saw Solo, right? Yeah, and you did, too. And Micah joked with us that he saw Solo, but you didn't actually see Solo, did you, Micah? No, it would have been a very short movie because it took about 30 seconds for my wisdom tooth to come out uh, the other day. So maybe I saw the commercial up on the TV and in the dentist office, and that was about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I, I'm i not a huge fan of these types of films. I'll just start by saying that. Not to say that the movies themselves are not good. I don't like the whole spinoff idea. Mm. Um, I and And particularly with Star Wars, I didn't like them going back... And and even creating the first three episodes, never mind creating, you know, seven, eight, and nine, 
and and so now that we're in the space of creating even more movies uh so that, that I'm just going to level set at the beginning by saying that. Sure. I think you need to let things stand how they are. I'm a believer in that. Uh, and we can certainly talk about Fantastic Beasts and, and, and Potter in that respect as well. But um, I'm not going to dismiss how good or, or not good the movie uh, was. So I'll let you guys talk about that. Is it is it sort of like for you, is it series fatigue? Like you're yeah. just tired of seeing why, why Star Why is it Wars? needed? Hmm. It feels like you're trying to like milk the cow and there's no milk left, you know? <laughs> well, to yeah. to tie this into Harry Potter, I mean, this is a question we might be facing in a few years' time after Fantastic Beasts or even maybe before the final Fantastic Beasts movie comes out. I, I think you are to some extent, right? Because the Fantastic Beasts series, as much as it is about Newt, is really about Dumbledore. and And it is a spin-off in a way it, it's going back and and finding a way to really tell his story as much as it is to tell newt's story so i think we're already getting some of that in in fantastic beasts hmm. so i i think for me at least with star wars I, I won't speak to harry potter uh at this time but uh if we could just talk about star wars on this harry potter podcast that'd be great um i think that it's more like a language that's being spoken you know a lot of people Star Wars is very, very, very big. It's a global phenomenon. So I think that when they make a new Star Wars movie, you know, it it is a uh, sort of like coming home at the end of a day and getting a new installment that, you know, says something. I, I think most of the good Star Wars movies um, and, and all good science fiction – tells us more about ourselves and the human condition. And I think the fact that these movies are so ridiculously popular um, means, you know, a lot of them are actually also really well made and they just tell us things about ourselves. I think from a narrative standpoint and a character standpoint, you go to relate to characters we already understand. I think that's, that's the thing is movies would be less successful if they had all new characters that we didn't connect with or they just have to spend more time connecting with all new characters every time think mm-hmm. of a world where there'd be no sequels at all um you know yeah. of anything and it, I, I some days i want to live in that world yeah um you know i get series fatigue as much as the next guy but for star wars it's like this is this massive thing and we're gonna offshoot to like go somewhere we haven't gone before and if they do it right they're at least doing some new things in the format of something old with Solo, we actually, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about it, we're here to talk right, about right, right. Solo uh, Harry Potter character stories, um, but in Solo, and this leads into our discussion today, they reveal things like the first time Chewie and Han piloted the Falcon together, how Han got his last name, how Han met Lando, and those dice that we see in uh, some of the movies that he hangs up or whatever. I'm a, I'm a casual dice. Star Wars fan. Yeah. But um, so it, it, it opens up the character. And Han Solo is obviously a beloved, iconic character. So the other question here is, when we're talking about these Harry Potter characters, how could it be marketed? Could they, could, could they feasibly do a solo movie about a Wizarding World character and have it be a success? Because they, they would only do it in the hopes of it making a ton of money. Interestingly, Solo is probably going to be the worst Star Wars movie uh, box office-wise. Disney had to lower their 
box office expectations over the weekend because they could already tell it wasn't going to live up to what they thought it would. Um, mm. So that's a factor too. In fact, I'm just reading now that it's struggling to hit 115 million in the U.S. Um, and not doing well overseas. That said, Eric, you liked it, right? I liked it. I liked it too. But that's the thing. I just liked it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah. I didn't think it was necessarily groundbreaking. But there's there, within the confines of a Star Wars movie, there's still you know some things to like about it. Some bold choices, some unexpected plot turns here and there. I'm thinking, of course, of Amelia Clark's character, mm-hmm. um, who's in it. You know, and 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 it's all sort of interesting. So. I I tend to love sort of the continuity of the in-world stuff. Like you, you, if you watch it, you can tell you're in a Star Wars world based on how the sets look and how the props look and the the presence of droids. And they do things with like droids rights. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of House Elf rights. You know that subplot in Goblet of Fire. Like some interesting things in universe that only Solo, only this latest entry has done. And I think that J.K. Rowling isn't out uh, outside or above the idea of, you know, contributing social factors and other things into a, what would otherwise be one man's story or one woman's story. I think that they, you know, what makes good stories and JK Rowling's written quite a few of them is, you know, having a number of characters that are all fighting for a cause. And I, I think that that, you know, if, if they do a Harry Potter solo character story, just like solo did a solo character story, it could be cool. So here's what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to exclude Dumbledore from this discussion since, as Micah yeah. mentioned, Fantastic Beasts is looking more and more like a Dumbledore story. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's start with our thoughts on Hogwarts professors and then other adult characters. And then we'll get into suggestions from our patrons. We asked them to submit some ideas and they have some really good ones. Um, first of all, I think, Eric, you added this. Professor Quirrell. Yeah. I would yeah. totally agree with that. Um, I think, and I think we were just talking about this in the Slug Club chat earlier. Uh, Lottie brought this up. Quirrell would be a great character to, because, in my opinion, we would get to see how he eventually, <laughs> how eventually Voldemort hooked into the back of his head. Like, that is a good endpoint for a story here and potentially very interesting to Harry Potter fans. But, Eric, what else could they see in the well quirrell uh we don't know much about him of course but you know in book one uh we see him very briefly in the leaky cauldron before he's specifically joined with voldemort but he was an accomplished wizard and i think hagrid says as much uh to harry but there's just something about quirrell that when he he was studying abroad in albania and of course, it's unfortunately that same lucky forest where Voldemort happened to be. And that's where he succumbs to the influence of Voldemort and eventually becomes his servant. I don't necessarily think Quirrell was like a bad dude or certainly not a dark wizard before running into Voldemort. So he was kind of like a scholar. He was kind of just like this dude, the whole mystery surrounding his turban and Everyone at school has a different theory about what it's for, whether it's, you know, garlic to ward off vampires or, you know, whatever. It's just kind of interesting ambiguity that he lives in. And we don't know much about him, which is kind of the most exciting thing, you know, in seeing his story. He could be anybody. He could be anything. And I think I remember reading that he survives that encounter with Harry at the end of book one. So where does he go? What does he do? Well, on Pottermore, it says that he 
died in 1992. Yeah, I don't mm. think he did survive. I'm, I'm just looking as well, which makes oh, sense. I mean, how do you how do you be two people and then not? <laughs> Separation. There's no coming back from so that. I mean, I would just die from embarrassment alone. I was sure he lived. That's my bad. Then what do you think, Michael? There's a lot of. Well, if you read through Pottermore, there's there's some interesting uh, information on Quirrell that's written by J.K. Rowling. Uh, she says that she saw him as a gifted but delicate boy who would probably have been teased for his timidity and nerves during his school life. Feeling inadequate and wishing to prove himself, he developed an initially theoretical interest in the dark arts. Like many people who feel themselves to be insignificant, even laughable, Quirrell had a latent desire to make the world sit up and notice him. So that's oh. sounds like me the beginning to a film right there, right? If you start out with Quirrell as this young Hogwarts student that's being teased and made fun of, and what does he grow to be? And eventually he encounters Voldemort. And, and, and it's actually mentioned in here too that Quirrell would have been the type of person that would have... It, expected himself to be able to take down Voldemort. So there is a little bit of that inside of him. And I wonder if that is what drove him uh, initially to encounter him or it was just happenstance that they came across each other. Mm -hmm. Another character that I think so many people would love and frankly, way more than Quirrell is McGonagall. I mean, this is a straight A student. She passed her out. She passed her new passed her newts. Um, she was a prefect, head girl, uh, winner of the Transfiguration Today Most Promising Newcomer Award. She's an inspiring <laughs> character for everybody, probably one of the most iconic. I mean, she has some amazing scenes throughout the series. Everybody just loves McGonagall. Um, an origin story for her would probably be interesting, but the only problem is that her backstory is it's not the most exciting thing it's it's very sad yeah it's it's very sort of depressing there's there's uh love that cannot be pursued there's uh the burden uh, that secrecy the, the role of secrecy plays on her entire family the pottermore writing on professor mcgonagall by jk rowling is lengthy and brilliant but but very sad yeah she fell in love with a muggle boy I, I actually would find that kind of interesting to follow. I think that would be a very interesting story and kind of relatable for fans because <laughs> it'd be like, what would happen if I fell in love with a wizard? Like, we could see the issues with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It'd be fun to see in a movie. Um, but it'd, yeah, it'd be fun to do like it because it was a different time in the wizarding world, right? And it's before the wars and that sort of thing. I mean, just... Just seeing um, an inside teacher's life would be kind of mm -hmm. cool. I mean, some of this backstory is talking about how she befriended Professor Sprout, how she and Professor Flitwick were both hat stalls, but with opposite results, that they were both either between Gryffindor or Ravenclaw, and McGonagall was eventually sorted into Gryffindor, and Flitwick was sorted into Ravenclaw. But apparently they joke that like they could be each other's heads of house, like or opposite heads of house. Like, you know, inner staff room type stuff i would love to see uh, a story written about at the very least there has to be something epic going on here though in any of these like if we're seriously considering the prospect <laughs> of one of these actually happening like fantastic beasts li uh, leading up to this grindelwald dumbledore duel of course harry potter has its own epic story like what would really draw people in here 
<laughs> It'd have to be uh, something J.K. Rowling hasn't written about yet. Oh, there was that yeah. one Wizarding War in between Wizarding Wars 1 and 2. I haven't told you about it. Right. Well, what gets a name drop? It's kind of like the Kessel Run, right? It's like they've made the Kessel Run into a substantial part of the solo movie. I'm glad it's not the climactic final battle thing, but, you know, it was mentioned once in the first Star War, and all of a sudden, now it's a, a, a set piece. Right. You know, so what is it about? Is it McGonagall's turning into a cat? Because it says she was always, you know, gifted at transfiguration, like... You know, she was she was taught by Dumbledore in Transfiguration, so I guess Dumbledore must have changed careers a lot of times between what teachers he was being. But you know, I I think that there would have to be something. You're right. Coming this November, learn how Professor McGonagall changed into a cat. I don't know. I don't see it. That's not selling me. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, maybe then it maybe a McGonagall one wouldn't work. Who's next? Maybe it's more of a lifetime movie. Ah, oh. this is the discussion we should be having. <laughs> learning to learning to accept heartbreak and learning to deal and overcome and still manage to be a a, a great resource for people who need. Which you. Harry Potter character should get their straight to DVD film? Um, how about Horace Slughorn? Micah, you're a Slughorn fan. Yeah, I like uh, Professor Slughorn. He's an interesting character. Not just uh, because I think Jim Broadbent does a great job uh, playing him in the films, but uh, there's a lot of history there that uh, is definitely suspect, right? We see it come mm. to the surface in Half-Blood Prince, and uh, we know he's Slytherin, head of house, right, by... Um, at least by the end of, of the Potter series. And uh, he's a very uh, interesting character in the sense that uh, he's been involved with a young Voldemort. He's been involved with Tom Riddle. And mm. maybe some of this will play out in the Fantastic Beast films, just knowing that he's a potential character uh, that could, uh, you know, we can see. Uh, but uh, yeah, what, what, what is he all about? You know, growing up, I don't know that we have too much information on him. And, um, you know, the slug club, it, what what causes somebody to want to create sort of that elitist group within Hogwarts uh, yeah, yeah. and, and want to collect people? I mean, th- there is a, a, a very much a Slytherin type undertone to Slughorn, right? When you think about that, you think about creating an elite club collecting people regardless of what house they're from, regardless of, you know, if they're, uh, you know, sort of, of, of no wizarding blood or if they're pure blood, he doesn't seem to discriminate in that sense as long as they help to elevate his profile. Yeah. And he was the potions teacher for a really long time. Um, back back in the day i think it was like 1920s to Mm -hmm. 80s or something like that so and and he had the slug club going i think that whole time so i think it'd be interesting to see the adventures of the slug club as well like (laughs) what makes this guy really want to like you said micah collect them like what 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 why does he get a kick out of that it's kind of creepy to me i think it's self-serving i think it has Right. It was very self-serving, but I think it comes out of a desire to be – I think he knows that he himself is not special. And I think that that's the thing is if he surrounds himself with 
people that can give him something or forge connections that he can manipulate to get stuff in return. That's and 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 as Micah said, elevate him, himself. That will be. Um, that's just the route he goes. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely the potential if he is teaching there for sixty years, starting in the twenties, that he can pop up during these Fantastic Beast films, and just yeah. given his relationship later on with with Tom Riddle, but I wonder if there's any relationship that he had uh, with Newt. And and yeah, um, what about uh, even, it, it's not mentioned, at least as far as I know, any sort of significant other or, you know, and any children. Um, so maybe that also is playing into some of what he's he's feeling. If he's feeling isolated, the way for him to kind of deal with that isolation is to create this club and to have all these you know, up and coming witches and wizards uh, surround him. If he was, if he's teaching since the twenties, I wonder what his behavior was like during the chamber of secrets incident in night in the forties, when the chamber was opened for the first time and the school was nearly closed and a girl died. Cause he does tend to get really shady when stuff is going on. And I think that he would have been under a lot of pressure to produce results about, you know, this said Slytherin's chamber, um, as head of house back then, if he was. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Some good opportunities there. The only other thing I have to add about Slughorn is you could call it Oho, a wizarding story. <laughs> uh, let's, nice. let's talk about Hagrid. I actually think he would be the best choice for an origin story. Um, really? He is a lovable, likable, friendly character. He's, he's one of the first wizard characters we see in the book um he has that iconic moment you're a wizard harry that that line more than any other line i think people the general public could recite from a harry potter movie he is just so closely tied to harry's story he's a father figure to harry he's as we were excuse me a mother figure if we're going off of the discussion we had (laughs) a week or two ago I just think yeah. he's a very marketable character because he is so likable. That said, I know some people are like, oh, I hate Hagrid. But just, just, I mean, I don't think his years, Eric had written here, what did Hagrid do the many years of being a groundskeeper? I, I don't think his gardening is very interesting, but I, I think... <laughs> I just want to see him gardening, you know, snuggle up pods and helping, helping sprout out. I, I think helping people, I, I think seeing him during the first wizarding war could be very interesting his upbringing with his mother and father father that he had a strained relationship with could be interesting and just being an outsider being this half giant somebody who doesn't fit in and yet still turning out to be such a nice person who just wants to help um and i think maybe this could open up to a, a wider discussion on just following the original order the phoenix um would be a very interesting story. That is a good point. I like that. Because yeah, there's that a ton itself. of characters you can bank on. <laughs> yeah. Right. But if you think about it, the, the formation of the Order of the Phoenix, just telling the story there, you could probably come up with, with one film just by itself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have all the Marauders joining Dumbledore and other, you know, very prominent wizards. You have the fall of Frank and Alice Longbottom, the fall of Lily and James Potter, but also their successes that lead them to be so widely acclaimed. 
leading up to that. I mean, it wouldn't have a happy ending necessarily, um, but we know Voldemort's defeated eventually. Yeah. There's that tragic story with Hagrid's mother leaving him, leaving his dad to raise him on his own. And I just think that would be such an adorable story to see. Mm. Lifetime. <laughs> Lifetime. Okay. <laughs> some of these would be more lifetime stories. But. How about some other adults who aren't teachers? Um, the problem with the teachers is they all seem to dedicate their lives to Hogwarts. They have no life outside of Hogwarts. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> uh, you know, when we were talking, we didn't have this in the discussion, but I added it while we were just talking. Uh, Tom Riddle. And you can work in yeah. Horace and Dumbledore during that story how did dumbledore how did how did dumbledore become voldemort how did tom riddle become voldemort there would be an amazing story there and we i th- i think uh, one of our patrons pointed out that the reason she likes half-blood prince so much is because there are those cool backstories that you get there in regards to tom riddle yeah i like those backstories too a lot but i am holding out hope still that by the time these Fantastic Beasts films are over, we will know a lot more about young Voldemort. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm fully expecting Tom Riddle to show up. He was born in 1927 at the, the very last day, which is the year that the first Fantastic Beasts is set. And we will, if, if the series ends in 1945, you know, not to reiterate what we've already said on past MuggleCast, but as a reminder, if the movies end in 1945, that is three years after the Chamber of Secrets was opened by Tom Riddle the first time and Hagrid was blackmailed. So some of these characters, Rubius Hagrid, Tom Riddle, probably McGonagall, Slughorn, Dumbledore, will all or, or should show up at some point or get mentioned at the very least as far as what's happening at Hogwarts during Grindelwald's rise of power. Would Tom Riddle be like reading the newspaper about Voldemort being, or about, <laughs> about Grindelwald and being like, oh, hmm, I want to do something like that. It couldn't hurt to get the idea. You know, you always see... Um, There's got to be inspiration. Yeah. And then Tom Riddle's like, but do we need all wizards? Like, how about, do we really need those wizards that are half-blood? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Well... It's funny that you say the reading of the newspaper and and not to make a a Star Wars reference, but I guess I I can here. Remember uh, when, uh, is it a young uh, Boba Fett picks up the the gun, right? Am I remembering this correctly? I think it's a helmet. The helmet, I'm sorry, the helmet um, after his father is killed. Yeah. Mm. And it's kind of like that next, it's in a way it, it would be, sort of previewing what is to come in, in later films, right? Yeah. It's the setup. They are making a, a Boba Fett movie, too, James Mangold. Of course they are. I saw that on TV. Yeah. Uh, can't wait. Yeah. And you know what? Based on how Solo's doing, I wouldn't be surprised if that got canceled, box office-wise. Oh, you know? I thought that Solo was supposed to have a pretty big uh, box office opening. Yeah, is and then, like I said, the they had to downgrade expectations because it isn't doing as well. Oh. Well, you know, they didn't market it. I mean, we're not a movie podcast, but but yeah, they didn't market it as well. And Avengers: Infinity War is still hot. It's yeah. still hot at the box office. It's still this huge, huge film. Both released by Disney. It's like, well, they didn't give it any space. They wanted to hit Star Wars Day for the release weekend, and well, I, I think it's suffering from a lack of marketing. And there's and there's there there's a Star Wars movie every year now, and I don't think people yeah. need that. It's oversaturation, right? That said, if uh, we would never complain about a Wizarding World movie every year, uh, that would be good for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, I, I do want the Fantastic Beast things to be to be out already. That would be great. Um, and Tom Riddle, I think, you know, speaking of marketing, like being able to see the origin story of the Harry Potter series on a whole, I think would be very interesting. Just do a single movie about that. That would yeah. be a big deal, I think. Yeah. Lead up to just Tom Riddle origin story can go all the way to his quote unquote death and when, when yeah. killing the Potters. Yeah. How about Nicholas Flamel, Eric? You think that would be a good one? <laughs> we'll find out uh, in Fantastic Beasts 2 if he is kind of a character that lives with humor and uh, culture and exudes some wisdom. We'll see if uh, the, his long life was, was worth uh, living, if he's sort of like a, just a, an even funnier Dumbledore sort of character. Um, but yeah, Nicholas Flamel, I mean, this guy's lived the longest he's he's the human being who has lived for for the the most time what are his thoughts what is his viewpoint how did he become the maker of the philosopher's stone like uh that and 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 alchemy as a subject is super interesting um you know changing and and metalworky metal working metalurgy changing one thing to another using alchemy and the way that works in the wizarding world is something that i think J.K. Rowling knows a lot about, so I would like that to be turned into a story because I think it'd be pretty cool. Eh. <laughs> He's already going to be in Fantastic Beasts, but this one yeah. has the uh, the most legs in terms of you could probably create a six part series, if not more than that, given that you're going six hundred sixty six years. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the Dark Ages through uh, the Spanish Civil War through you know. Lots oh man, I'm so excited for Nicholas Flamel movie number five. <laughs> the first four just blew me away. Nah, I can't see it, guys. Sorry. That that you could put that okay. on the History Channel. I knew that one was a was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> At least we're finding places for these films. <laughs> <laughs> How about Molly and Arthur Weasley? Micah, would you like to see a Molly and Arthur Weasley origin story? <laughs> lifetime. Lifetime. Yeah, that's a good lifetime one. Oh, I was I was expecting more of a gritty HBO, uh, you know, special. I mean, they did have seven kids, so <laughs> Jesus, I'm not. I didn't say Cinemax, but the for for me, Arthur Weasley. I want to see who put him on his path towards appreciating and loving Muggle stuff. Like, was he like really sheltered as a boy? Cause, uh, the Weasleys are pure bloods, by the way, as a reminder. So. Did his parents like not let him associate with muggles? Did they homeschool him? What what's his story that as soon as he was like, There's this other world out there, I gotta go and explore it and it just what inspired him? Like I think there's a story in that moment of inspiration where he was like, I'm gonna dedicate a big part of my life to like trying to figure out how airplanes stay up. Like what was that? It's like it's like when any muggle has an interest in something like trains. Planes, automobiles. You just grow yeah. up with a burning passion for something. And for him, it was seeing how these other life forms uh, get along in their day. Mm-hmm. Arthur Weasley would have a lot of fun with video games, I feel. Not only are they muggle objects, 
but they're fun muggle objects. I think we actually just need to go and follow Mark Williams around in his real life and watch him interact with muggle stuff. <laughs> but actually, <laughs> that could be sp- spending yeah. more time in the borough would actually be a lot of fun. It's one of the more whimsical places in the wizarding world, in my opinion. And I'm not sure there's like a grand story there to put on yeah. film, but I would enjoy some time there, maybe on like TLC or um, HGTV. Watch as the Weasleys shop for their home. House Hunters, Wizarding Edition. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> and then finally, in terms of our suggestions, uh, Xenophilius Lovegood, or maybe just the Lovegoods on a whole, because Luna's pretty wacky too. Yeah, yeah, this would be a series kind of like, um, I'm going to say the Osbournes, <laughs> because the Osbournes had prominence more than the, the Lovegoods do, but like just a wacky family kind of antics going like what what are their philosophies how do they operate like who's the matriarch and the patriarch and what are they good parents and you know this kind of that kind of thing so um i'd I'd be interested like these weird family from the other side of the hill like mtv right who are they luna luna what are you doing with that spell over there i can't believe you're doing this (laughs) that's my xenophilius as ozzy impression oh He'd be way more mellow, though. Not that you can get more mellow than Ozzy. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, and some of the some of the theories that he subscribes to. I would love it if it were like a kind of like a Forrest Gump movie where it's like, you know, Forrest was present at all of these big, big, big events, but he didn't know anything about them. But like instead, Xenophilius is present at a lot of like real life conspiracies that ultimately mean nothing and don't matter but like he gets his like heart's content of like witnessing real conspiracies relating to you know almost uh non-existent creatures or something like that where you just like we see inside the life and the head of a of a kind of wacky dude one of the patreon benefits for slug club members is joining us before an episode once a month on a live stream we just hang out talk about what's going on in our days and uh you know in the world of harry potter and we had a few of our lady listeners joining us today um we asked them who do you want to see a solo story for Haley said lupin and tonks lottie said lupin and quarrel um megan said mcgonagall and then she wrote on patreon please give us the minerva backstory badass female super spy movie tragic romance how could they not and then miranda said lupin as well um, and then, like I said, we did ask for written answers to this question. Uh, that was everybody's homework at our little Hogwarts school over the past week. Micah, what was the first one? Just a bunch of requests for Minerva McGonagall and the Marauders. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I mean the first one after that. Oh, oh. <laughs> but yes, there. Overall, after we that, did get a lot of McGonagall and Marauder ones. Okay. Uh, Jemima says, uh, the Ravenclaw family, Rowena's daughter grew up with some serious issues with her mother. Then there was the whole scary story of the bloody Baron, which is glossed over in the books, but he must've been a serious psychopath to behave like he did and to also fool Rowena into thinking he was a man to be trusted with Helena. The story can then include Salazar Slytherin, Helga Hufflepuff and Godric Gryffindor and their roles and involvement in this tragic story, and perhaps the whole debacle involving the Chamber of Secrets. Would love a story set in the Middle Ages, creation of Hogwarts. It would be awesome and wouldn't mess with any current character canon apart from fleshing out their forebears 
and how their families grew up with such different cultural attitudes to muggles and purebloods. Thoughts? I love this idea of doing a Hogwarts origin story, sort of the four greatest, brightest witches and wizards of their day found Hogwarts. They disagree, but framed over the lifetime of Rowena Ravenclaw and the people that are in her immediate you know, circle. I like the idea of the Bloody Baron, you know, the intuition that he was very smart to fool her into letting her let him court her daughter. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie said, Molly Weasley, please. Who is this badass woman? How are her parents so cool that they raised their children to combat dark magic to the extent that two of their sons would give their lives? She seems to be of a pure blood status, but clearly stands out. Did she and her brothers have to defy their ancient heritage? Did it help them blend into the upper echelons of wizard society and therefore help them to be better spies? Inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. Molly Weasley was such a badass parent, and her parents must have been even more so. I think Stephanie's correct in pointing that out. Coming this fall, you remember her line from Deathly Hallows, Not my daughter, you bitch. (laughs) Now learn how she formed that sentence. The origins of her attitude. <laughs> this next one's from Gemily. Backstory is one of the main reasons Half-Blood Prince is by far my favorite Potter book and least favorite movie. We learned so much about Tom Riddle. Knowing how a villain becomes the way they are is absolutely fascinating to me. That being said, I think I'd want to know more about one of his followers, Bellatrix, Peter, or maybe Lucius. What path did their lives take that led them to such a dark experience? That's a great point. It's a good, yeah. I wonder if they did a Tom Riddle origin story, we'd be able to see him interacting with each of these people and kind of see what it is that makes him like manipulate them to like make them tick to want to be his. Son. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. Makes me also think of Regulus Black. He could be a good contender for one of these stories as well. Yeah, like inside the ranks of the the Death Eaters, while having sort of a change of heart and getting cold feet and ultimately doing what's right. I love that. Or even, I mean, seeing Peter listed here makes me think of Marauders, which we've always brought up, but just, I would just love, love a Marauder story to watch Peter go rogue. That would be sad. Oh, Kaylee says Lupin for sure. It would be fascinating to go back as far as when his transition occurred and then following how he coped with that transition. Then seeing the everyday struggle of having that secret life as both a child and an adult would be interesting. It amazes me that he is the light spirit that he is despite the discrimination against him. Learning how he became the incredible mentor and friend that we met him as would be such an inspirational story. Yeah, I agree. What makes Lupin a good teacher, I wonder? Uh, Amber says, I would love a Tom Riddle prequel showing us a bit about his childhood, his time at Hogwarts, and the time between when he graduated and killed the Potters. I feel like a lot of people really liked the flashbacks to his youth we got in HBP, so fans would be really into it. Also, I think Warner Brothers could market it as a darker version of Harry Potter meant for young adults and adults. Yeah, you know, that's a good point, too. All these Harry Potter fans were all a little older now. So, like, we'd all turn out for an older Harry Potter story, similar to how Mm. we're all enjoying Fantastic Beasts because it focuses on older wizards and witches. Right. 
The last one is from Jerry, who says, A story about Kingsley Shacklebolt could be compelling. To be honest, we don't know that much about him. We know he's a well-respected Auror that becomes Minister of Magic after the final fall of Voldemort. Uh, maybe there's something <laughs> more that could be said about him. But Jerry isn't saying it. <laughs> sure there is. <laughs> I, w- I wonder how uh, Kingsley developed his appreciation for style. Yeah. <laughs> you remember his line, Dumbledore's got style. Now learn how he decided to form those words. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody, who contributed there. Another way our listeners contribute is via email. Uh, Roshni wrote in about last week's discussion on mothers. Was it last week? Was it two weeks ago? I can't keep it straight anymore. Um, Roshni said, I am a little disappointed with your discussion about Tonks of the Battle. Oh, this was last week. Mm. I remember when I was reading the book, I was annoyed that Tonks was home with the kid. Tonks is a badass Auror. Why should she be the one who stayed home? Like Nassim mentioned, if anyone was going to stay home, it should have been Remus. It would have been totally out of character for Tonks to not be fighting. I think our opinion is colored by the fact that we know the outcome, which, of course, sucked. However, think about the impact Voldemort's rule has impacted both Remus and Tonks. Beltrix made it her mission to kill Tonks, and the whole family was targeted by laws against werewolves. Tonks had a right to be there, and anyone who feels she shouldn't have left her child should also be angry that Remus did as well. Also, parents might not also know if their child enlists at 18. Now people have a choice, but think about when there was a draft. The of-age kids also had a right to be there. Just want to make sure we weren't favoring a patriarchal view on Tonks' actions. No, I, I agree with that, and that's why we ended up mentioning uh, Remus as well. But my only point was one of them should have stayed home with the kid just in case, God forbid, we did lose both of them like we did. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we really loved uh, Nazim's idea about it being Lupin that stayed home. And I don't have a single problem with Tonks coming to fight in the battle. My point was, in the books... You know, when she does show up, she is grief stricken and searching for Remus the entire time. It's not like she's here like, let's get to work. Instead, she is distracted and kind of reduced to being his wife versus the badass aura that she is. So I think I criticize how the writing portrays her. I do not criticize her as a character. Need to be very clear. I'll, I'll give you a Bruce Springsteen example. When Bruce and Patty, his wife, had kids, they were still touring after that. They would take separate planes to the different cities. Why? Because if the plane, if one of the planes went down, the kids wouldn't lose both their parents. It's a backup plan. Oh. One of the kid, one of the, the uh, Remus or, or Tonks should have stayed home as a backup plan for one of the kids. For, t- for Teddy. Now I'm thinking of movies with Jennifer Aniston in them. <laughs> Why? Why? The backup plan. That's oh, a movie. I see. Anyway. Uh, well, I have a great plan. It's also why uh, the president and the vice president never travel together. Right. Yes. Right. Oh, it wasn't Jennifer Aniston. It was Jennifer Lopez. That's my bad. Ah, of course. Well, I have a good plan for anybody who wants to make some good food over the summer uh, I want to tell you about this week's sponsor, Blue Apron. Like I said earlier in this episode, summer is here, and what better time to shake up your dinners than right now with Blue Apron? Get the grill going again. Cook some special meals that you can eat outside. What I love about Blue Apron is that they make cooking delicious, 
and original meal ideas super easy. Normally, when you have an idea for a meal, you got to do a big trip to the food store. And if you're cooking something you haven't done before, you got to find all these ingredients. It's stressful. It takes too much time. With Blue Apron, you get to make new, exciting, and impressive meals without it being difficult. This weekend, beautiful weekend here in Chicago, the boyfriend and I cooked up barbecue pork burgers with a side of pickled pepper coleslaw and roasted potatoes. They had some aged white cheddar on them. Mmm, delicious. Instead of spending part of the day at the food store getting all the ingredients together, finding them all so we can make sure we get this right, everything came straight to us. We got out of Solo, came home, and got cooking straight away. It's really, really great. This is some really good stuff. I want you to try Blue Apron. This is the way to create some incredible meals. They give you 12 new recipes to enjoy each week, and you can pick two, three, or four of those recipes based on what best fits your schedule. So you don't have to commit to a lot of food here. You just get what you need. Shake up your routine. You'll be proud of yourself when you sit down to enjoy your meals. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free at blueapron.com slash mugglecast. Blue Apron is a better way to cook this summer. Do it. Free food, y'all. Blueapron.com slash mugglecast. All right, let's hear from some of our listeners now. Enough from us. (laughs) Uh, Let's start with a couple of reactions to Cursed Child. Some of our listeners have been seeing it. Hey guys, my name is Yanni. I'm from Australia, but I currently live in New York. I've left a voicemail before, but it never got played on an episode, but I assume that was because my message didn't go through or there was a sound issue. Um, Either way, I hope it wasn't because it was too boring and you didn't want to play it on the air. Um, Anyway, I just saw Curse Child Part 2 here in New York because my friend had two extra tickets and I tagged along with her. And I never understood why you guys gave it such a hard time, but now I understand. Um, <laughs> I didn't see part one, but I saw part two, and the story is seriously flawed, like, and it's very unoriginal, and the forced heterosexual relationships between the kids made me so mad. They had set up such a good romance between Scorpius and Albus, I just didn't see why they didn't just take that. It makes me think that maybe the high prices made fans like the show even more because they want to make it worth their money. Uh, also, McGonagall in the play is kind of a bitch. Like, she literally says, shame on you, Hermione Granger, at one point. I didn't like that at all. Um, <laughs> but all that aside, I still did kind of enjoy seeing Harry Potter on stage. Um, let me know what you guys think about what I said. Uh, thanks for doing the podcast. I really enjoy listening to you guys. And thanks. Shame on you, Hermione Granger. I'm with McGonagall on that. I mean, I forget exactly the circumstances, but Hermione lets children into her office to steal the most, what should be the most guarded item in the history of ever. And I don't think that's excusable. Did this listener say his name was Yanny or Laurel? Um, I couldn't couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, I'm not sure. And I'm still debating what what color the dress is. So I don't (laughs) know. All right, we have another Cursed Child review, and this one is more positive. Hi, MuggleCast. This is Katie. I'm calling from New York City. I just um, watched The Cursed Child Parts 1 and 2 yesterday, so I waited to listen to your review following that. Um, And I really liked your evaluation and everything, especially about the story versus the magic, blah, blah, blah. But there was something Eric said that I wanted, that I have a bone to pick with about the um, the end scene where Harry watches 
the death of Lily and James, and they kind of don't give him enough attention in this story on this fact that he acknowledges that despite the fact that he did destroy the physical part of Voldemort in his soul, uh, he was mentally not rid of him. And I think that's what they were really trying to accomplish with the dreams um, sequences and, you know, the reemergence of Tongue and a scar hurting was that it was yet not really fully let go of that. And it comes out in his relationship with Albus and uh, the end of, of seeing that and seeing that actor Jamie Parker perform in that way was just utterly like gut-wrenching, cathartic. I felt like any Harry Potter fan that feels the way um, that feels that kind of emotion during the Godric's Hollow scenes appreciates it too. So um, that's it. Just wanted to defend that choice. Anyway, hope you guys have a great rest of your week and enjoy this beautiful weather. Bye. Hey, how are you? Oh, hey, how are you? <laughs> what was <that> <laughs> <laughs> Somebody showed um, up at the end of that voicemail. Um, so there. So uh, not agreeing with you there on the end scene, Eric. That's okay. I, I, ugh, yeah. I can't exactly remember what you said, but I I will say something. There is something so moving about watching Harry watch his parents die. Because Harry, Ron, Hermione, Albus, Scorpius, I think Rose too, they're all staring into the audience and you're looking back at them and we're all hearing Voldemort kill Lillian James. Like, that is gut-wrenching to watch. Yeah. The only thing I think I said about it was that it was sort of torturous and unnecessary to Harry from a character point. But I completely see why the significance, like why people love it. And Jamie Parker does an amazing job at it. So uh, I I would tend to agree with um, a lot of these thoughts. One more Cursed Child related voicemail today. Hey, guys, it's Marissa. I was listening to the most recent episode and you were discussing how Voldemort could have ever fathered a child and I think there are a lot of good arguments against Cursed Child but I think that this is one of the weakest ones um, because we know that in the muggle world we have things like artificial insemination so you don't actually have to have sex to create a baby and so I feel like in the wizard world that would be entirely possible too. So I think it would have all been very scientific. I don't think he would have ever have had sex with Bellatrix, but he would have chosen her in a moment of weakness as like a plan B to have this baby be like an incubator for this baby. So like I said, I think there are lots of lots of good criticism against Chris Child, but I feel like that's one of the weakest arguments out there because I mean, even you know, we have science, and wizards always have an equivalent to that science. So, it's just my thoughts. Thanks. I'm into that artificial insemination or something similar. Micah, do you have any thoughts <laughs> on how these two conceived a child? Yes. Whether it's likely, whether it's more likely that they did it without doing it than they did it with doing it. I would ask uh, the two who wrote the. Yeah. Play to explain yeah. a little bit more how this all came about. No, I mean I, I, I Bellatrix. It, it never seemed to me, at least, that Voldemort ever gave the attention to Bellatrix that she gave to him. Right? There was it. it I, am I am I wrong about that? I mean, she was obviously no, no. very enamored by him, very subservient in many ways, but. 
it, it just seems like if it was something that Voldemort wanted in the moment and decided, okay, you know what? I need somebody to carry on, um, which doesn't make any sense because he's somebody who's so just, uh, he's just fixated on living forever, right? And, and right. creating these horcruxes and, and binding himself to the earth and, and finding the hollows, right? And becoming the master of death. doesn't sound like somebody who's like, oh, yeah, I want somebody who's going to be able to continue on um, my, you know, my lineage after I'm gone, right? So I don't know. It it, it seems very out of character um, for for Voldemort. Um, not so much yeah. Bellatrix. I don't think, you know, she would have loved the idea. It sounds like, um, but I, Voldemort just doesn't it doesn't strike me as the the type of of person who who would even think about something like that. At least not by the time we get to um, Malfoy Manor, unless, you know, maybe that's when he's starting to feel things slip a little bit. Maybe that's the explanation is that, you know, some of these hallows are starting, or sorry, the Horcruxes are starting to be destroyed. He's starting to catch on, um, which is interesting because he does in the movie, which plays well in the movie, but he doesn't really in the book. At least I don't remember it that way, that, that he's catching on to what's happening. Um, right. But, that all that said, maybe that's maybe it's just a a moment that the two of them had in Malfoy Manor, and and that was it. I don't know. Vold- uh, I think what upset people a lot about this is because Voldemort is just not that type of person to love. Bellatrix was in love with Voldemort, but not the other way around. So, I that's why I can buy this artificial insemination idea or something similar because I, it, I don't think it's any more likely though. Like well, I, I just I don't I, see it as any more likely that they did that versus just doing the deed or whatever you know like I'm just gonna say if it does happen it works like um, uh, extracting a memory from your mind oh god Stop. all right and let's move on <laughs> <laughs> oh my god hi my name is Princess I am calling from Toronto. And I'm just calling about uh, Muggle Cast's last episode, uh, talking about how in Fantastic Beasts that Dumbledore is now a uh, guested DADA professor. And in my opinion, I'm just, I am also a bit disappointed with that. I always thought that it was really cool that Transfiguration was a lot more, um, I guess, just not as explored the same way Defense Against the Dark Arts is. And I think Transfiguration has a lot more theory, and it fits really well with Dumbledore being an academic and a scholar. And uh, having written all these, I guess, journal articles about Transfiguration, and so I really wish we got a chance to see more of that. So I guess I wanted to hear what you guys think. I love the show. Uh, It definitely keeps my days going here during the winters up in Toronto. Uh, cheers, guys. Thank you, Princess. What a name. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I still am holding out hope that we are going to learn about Dumbledore being a Transfiguration teacher. Um, but that also is a good point that, like, we've had enough of Defense Against the Dark Arts <laughs> in these books and movies. <laughs> Show us something different. Did that clip yeah. ever surface or not yet? Not yet. The clip we discussed a few weeks ago. The one ago. that they showed to uh, shareholders or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like, why do we need to see more DADA? Like, it's not that great. Come on. It's good, but it's, it doesn't have to be every... Yeah. 
It's just because the rest of the movie, they're facing off against the darkest wizard of the time. Yeah. All right, here's another voicemail. Hey, MuggleCast. It's Jenny from Colorado. Um, I'm on my reread book four now. Just wondering why you think Percy was sorted into Gryffindor. Um, Ron just said he was really, he's always been really ambitious, which is more of a Slytherin trait. He's always been very smart. Maybe he could be a Ravenclaw. Um, let's know your thoughts. Hope you're having a good week. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, I mean, Percy's a butt face, and I don't think he he deserves to be in Gryffindor. He just well, wait, gets a lot of Gryffindors are butt faces. Yeah, but I mean, he sides with the Ministry over his own family. Um, but that aside, you know, Jenny was bringing up some good points too about why she he might be in Slytherin, being re- really ambitious. I mean, he's he's one of the most ambitious people. He's right up there with Hermione. I think it was possibly his family that got him into Gryffindor. I mean, if he has a long history and he could have asked to be put there, um, maybe when he was 11, he was a little bit more shy, you know, and he kind of grew further away from Gryffindor traits, as J.K. Rowling once said on Twitter that Pettigrew did as well. I mean, Pettig- uh, Percy is more Gryffindor than Pettigrew was, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all a spectrum, and I think that maybe it's just that, you know, he's part of a family of seven pure blood siblings. And, you know, his whole family's in Gryffindor. I think it was just a natural thing for the hat to be like, yeah, you know, you're not too bit, too much of an outlier. I'll put you in Gryffindor. And that was probably how that worked. In his origin story movie, we're going to see him in the sorting <laughs> process. And he's going to be going, not Slytherin, not Ravenclaw, not no. Hufflepuff. Not Hufflepuff, eh? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody says that who goes under this hat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apologies, Hufflepuffs. I'm sorry. Here's another voicemail. Hey, guys. Um, my name is Jory Seegers from Elkhart, Indiana. Longtime listener. I um, actually just recently jumped back into listening to you guys. Um, I remember downloading your guys' first podcast on my iPod video back in 2005, back in the olden days. But I was just recently... Um, listening to the episode where you guys were talking about, um, Pottermore and when they let go, all those writers and editorial people and all of that and whatnot. Very sad. But you guys were talking a lot about the old school days of Flash animation and what we'd like to see Pottermore be. Um, you guys are just giving me a lot of nostalgic vibes, um, this past week listening to you guys, but it made me think of, um, old school RPG role playing um, where you would just be with a bunch of people and you would just be pretending and writing your own story and waiting for them to respond. And I just thought it'd be really cool if you guys did a podcast one time just talking about where you guys started back when you um, put your stuff out there on MuggleNet. And I remember there was another episode where you guys were talking about Joe's old website um, about um, like, oh, is Joe going to be in today and whatnot? But I remember she had a trophy case that you could click on for the top, like, fan site, and MuggleNet was on there. Um, and one of the RPG sites that I used to be on, Taz Hogwarts, was also awarded on there, too. So I just thought it would be really cool, I don't know, just to hear from the fandom. Like, you guys have given so much to us, and how you guys talk about Pottermore, about some of the other fan sites. Like, they know a lot more, and, like, sources, whereas Pottermore can't say a whole lot, and 
I'm sorry if I sound really ranty. I've just been a huge fan of you guys. And, yeah, so thanks, guys. I thought it would be interesting to share how what we were doing in the fandom outside of MuggleCast. Because <laughs> we're always so focused on MuggleCast now. Um, <clears throat> so I thought this was a cool question. I got my start at MuggleNet through... Well, first of all, I had my own Harry Potter fan site called Harry Potter's House. And later, the Potter profile, because I forgot to renew HarryPottersHouse.com. And it got snapped up by somebody else. So I had to change the name of my site. It was devastating for teenage Andrew. But... um so I was doing my own Harry Potter site, and then, of course, I wanted to work for MuggleNet, because, you know, it was MuggleNet. It was the Harry Potter site. And they had a job opening for, like, content writers or something like that, and I applied, and I knew somebody on the inside who could maybe get me in. So I was like, please help me work for MuggleNet. And they did. And my first job at MuggleNet was creating a section for J.K. Rowling's website, which is kind of funny because that relates to this voicemail, always checking out her awesome website. So, yeah, that was my my gig at MuggleNet. It was maintaining that. And then I just started doing more and more. And then I was running a lot of the site and writing the news and stuff like that. So, Eric, you've been on MuggleNet for a long time. I still am, yeah, since uh, 2002. This uh, person who sent this voicemail in being from Elkhart is very um, fitting as MuggleNet is is from LaPorte, Indiana. Emerson is from LaPorte. He grew up in LaPorte and that, you know, started the site. So fellow Indiana in uh, as your, your starter for the website. But I started off doing the weekly caption contest. We did take a screenshot from the film and... People would send in captions, and it ran for uh, five years solid and another two um, before the website stopped working with the the code, uh, and it had to unfortunately close. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've role-played before in the world of Harry Potter. I used to play, I think, like Lupin in chat rooms and stuff on, like, old AOL. Um, so I totally relate to this voicemail um sender as well of of like living in the world of of harry and stuff so so and i've done other things on mugglenet over the i mean currently i'm basically like an editor like i'll edit things spruce things up go on uh set visits or you know site site visits to like harry potter things that's what i do in mugglenet now but throughout the years you know just little little sections here and there like i've worked on name origins i've worked on song parodies there was a section called dear hogwarts where we actually got to role play as teachers like we had dedicated writers as uh, hogwarts professors and you could write a letter as if you were writing it to the hogwarts professor and they responded it was really really fun um but that's kind of what i'm doing or what i did lately other than MuggleNet, and obviously when MuggleCast came around that got all the attention and then uh for me i think it was just after the first episode of MuggleCast uh, was released, I reached out to uh, Kevin Steck and uh, put me in touch with somebody named Andrew Sims. Not yes, sure that's who that true. Is. What's that? Yes, that's true. That is true. You and, reached uh, out to me, Kevin. I actually uh, got my start doing the transcripts for MuggleCast, and then eventually... 
Andrew, I think you reached out and said, would you be interested in doing the news? And uh, Yeah, I don't know why I asked you that, but... <laughs> well, I think maybe that's what I initially had pitched, is that you needed a uh, quick kind of news roundup at the beginning of the show. Not that you couldn't talk about the topics, but um, it'd be interesting to kind of play back some of those older segments that uh, yeah. that we did, because... that that format of the show pretty much stayed the way that it was for a long, long time. Yeah. But yeah, Micah would pre-record the news segment and we would edit it in later. And then one day I think I was just like, why, why are we doing the news pre-recorded and then like essentially repeating it all when we're actually talking about it. So then we had the brilliant idea of, you know, (laughs) talking about each news story as we read it like we do today. Right. And that may have been how you actually got involved in the show as like a co-host. Yeah. I think that's right. I think after doing the news, you said, uh, why don't you hang around and uh, became uh, <laughs> part of the uh, the rotation. But uh, as far as MuggleNet, I mean, I worked on a lot of different sections uh, of the site, particularly Name Origins was, was a focus of mine. And... Uh, Really, over time, I think just one thing led to another and uh, um, kind of led the site for a while before kind of moving on to do different things, but always sticking with the uh, the podcast. And uh, I'm happy to see the success that the site still has today, that it's still going strong and coming up with, with new and different ideas. It's definitely something that's been a part um, of all of our lives, you know, for for yeah. probably the better part of 10 years and Eric longer for you. Uh, yeah. So uh, as far as today now, I mean, really for me, the, the main thing is the, is the podcast. I'll, I'll take, you know, um, the opportunities when they come along to go and travel a bit and, and, and whether Andrew and I were down at the park, not that long ago earlier this year or um, yeah. other things like that, going to see cursed child. But, but primarily for me, the focus, um, is the podcast, uh, you know, conventions here or there when, when work doesn't get in the way, but, um, it's, it's definitely been, um, interesting to watch this community really evolve and become what it is. You know, it, it's very unique and I know there are others out there for different, uh, things that people are passionate about, but I've always felt that Potter has sort of come alive, um, in the age of the internet and social media and, um, that has, you know, really benefited it in terms of just the amount of people that have connected with each other, uh, through, through the series. And, and it's, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what, what the future holds. All right. To wrap up today's show, let's play some quizage. Woo. Uh, well, last week's question was as follows. It was Battle of Hogwarts themed. What does Harry see at Hogwarts that reminds him of where the lost diadem is hidden? And this is from the chapter, The Battle of Hogwarts. Essentially, if we'll recall, um, there's a stray spell that comes in through the window because a lot is going on. And it happens to knock the gargoyles off of their pedestal there's two gargoyles that guard the staff room and harry happens to be looking at uh one of the faces of this ugly gargoyle and has sort of a uh any a eureka moment where he then pictures the ugly stone bust 
uh, of Rowena Ravenclaw, both in the Lovegood's home and eventually he gets back to the statue of with it had a tiara on it inside the room of requirements. So the correct answer to last week's uh, Quizzit's question was uh, the face of the stone gargoyle is what Harry sees that reminds him of where the diadem is hidden. And we only had that I could find three winners uh, who sent in the answer on Twitter. And they were uh, recurring winner Sean Brady, uh, Roshni B, and Nathaniel Stevens. So a tough one. And uh, Nathaniel actually writes in, I remember this exactly because I wasn't a fan of that moment. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, it may- Well, yeah, it's like a convenient sort of, oh my gosh, Eureka. <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense now. That and the fact that moments before Ron bluffed his way into the Chamber of Secrets by speaking fake, like imitating Harry's parcel tongue, are the two most convenient things, and they happen back to back. So I get it. I get it. That got, um, I remember we were hard on that when the book came out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I can buy that one. Actually, isn't there a scene like that in Solo? Yeah, yeah. Well, Somebody Solo speaks Wookie. Yeah, he suddenly speaks Wookie, yeah. right? But like the human spoiler throat shouldn't really be able to do that, right? And he, like he can actually communicate with Chewie yeah. a little bit poorly. I liked the subtitles in that scene, but um. Anyway, uh, we were talking about uh, cool, cool Kingsley Shacklebolt. So I'm going to throw him into this next week's Quizage question. What is the form of Kingsley Shacklebolt's Patronus? It's a little bit easier one because I want to get more people uh, submitting. Submit your answers to us over Twitter at MuggleCast and just say this week's Quizage answer is blank and then I will find it. But um, a little question about Kingsley and definitely want to see some fresh blood uh, playing the game. Yeah. All right. So, um... Before we say goodbye, we have a little bit of an announcement. Uh, So in June, June marks 15 years since Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix was published. And we actually thought for a time that we hadn't done chapter by chapter for Order of the Phoenix. Uh, Turns out we were wrong, and our patrons told us that, so thank you. Uh, But what we're going to do instead... To celebrate 15 years since Order of the Phoenix came out, we are going to spend some time in each episode of MuggleCast in June discussing elements of the fifth Harry Potter book. One of our discussions will be definitely based on the Department of Mysteries. We've spoken about that. Uh, uh, I think a couple months ago, we were saying we got to do something on the Department of Mysteries. So we're finally going to do that in june it's going to be a lot of fun we'll also just look back at that summer and those midnight release parties um so we'll have some fun with order of the phoenix and then in july we'll have another fun launch which we've already announced to patrons uh we will announce to the rest of you in the weeks ahead once we firm up our plans so it's going to be a good summer of MuggleCast. And then Eric and I, by the way, will be at LeakyCon in the beginning of August um, down in Texas. Dallas, Texas, August 10th to the 12th, 2018. Cool. So that'll be fun. Um, tickets are sold out, but if you want to check out the website learn more about what's going to be going on there, check it out at LeakyCon.com. You can also give them your email address so you can learn about future events, which will probably also sell out very quickly. So do that and stay abreast of the situation. 
Mm-hmm. Plug for MuggleCast.com. You can get our voicemail number there. You can write to us via the feedback form, or you can just email us, MuggleCast at gmail.com. Our phone number, by the way, is one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. Also, follow us on Twitter to participate in those quizage questions and stay up to date on episode information. Uh, Twitter.com slash MuggleCast and Facebook.com slash MuggleCast is where we are on the social medias. And finally, a plug for our Patreon, Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Uh, By the way, we'll have a new bonus MuggleCast up about the Elder Wand. We got a funny voicemail about uh, the Elder (laughs) Wand in Fantastic Beasts and its loyalty. So we answer that and also talk about a theory about Dumbledore's It Has to Be You line in the trailer. Mm and how that could relate to the Elder Wands. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. See you next time for 371. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.